This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. How are you tonight, Katie? I'm great. How are you, Chad? I'm doing well, and I'm ready to wrap up season one because, you know, I don't hate season one, but I know season two is a lot more fun, and it's it's on the very nearby horizon at this point. It is. If any of you are on the fence, stick it out. Season two is even better. So stick with us. Definitely. Uh, But before we have to do that, we do have to talk about our last two episodes of season one. So we're starting off with episode five, which is titled Basketball. It aired on April 19th of 2005 and was directed and written by the showrunner Greg Daniels. How about you tell us what happens in this episode, Katie? So it's kind of funny, um, not a whole lot of actual plot in this episode. So basically, Michael organizes a pickup basketball game between the upstairs office folk and the warehouse workers and delegates his work that day, which is creating a weekend and holiday work calendar to Dwight. It is decided that the loser of the game will work the upcoming weekend. It's pretty much the whole plot. (laughs) Yeah, I, I imagine the script for this episode pretty much looked like beginning of the episode. Every character plays basketball for X amount of time. end of episode and everything else was just sort of improv right and (laughs) in the deleted scenes and in the commentary they basically reveal that that's exactly what happened they do like 20 minute pickup games in character and they'd have people on standby spraying water on them for sweat purposes and all that kind of stuff so not a whole lot of written lines just (laughs) have fun play basketball and we'll dedicate a whole chunk just talking about the basketball game because that's where the bulk of everything funny really does happen in this episode because when you just let these people play in characters a whole bunch of actors gifted in improvisation a whole lot of nonsense happens and it's just a lot of fun well let's talk about some of these before the basketball game character interactions what are some of yours chad okay well just starting off with michael as we tend to do how much do you believe that he plays basketball every weekend like he claims? I think he probably has done it once. <laughs> yeah, and in the deleted scenes, we more or less reveal that. He has this phone call with Packer, and he's saying, oh, man, I wish you were going to be here. And then Packer basically reveals that Michael comes to one of their pickup games a year. <laughs> his his skill level is about probably the same as mine, and I've played basketball about one time, so that sounds about right. Yeah, and knowing what we know about Packer at this point, I, I kind of find it hard to believe that Packer would be any good at playing basketball either. No. <laughs> and the funniest part about Michael bragging about being good at basketball is that he brags about how African Americans were impressed with his basketball skills. It's just this, this subtle racism. <laughs> and, and it's not even all that subtle, to be honest. It's Michael no. just being clueless to how blatantly racist he's being. Uh, and it, it sort of carries throughout the episode, just these these hints toward Michael thinking that black people should be good at basketball just by default. (laughs) One for me was uh, sort of on the Pam Roy front. We see Pam on the phone with, I believe it's the maker of her toaster oven. I think that was it. It's a gift from her bridal shower or her engagement shower, one of those. And it was, you know, three years ago and her toaster oven broke and her warranty expired. And she's bummed that she can't get it replaced, but it's been so long and she is not even married. It's just sort of another job at her long engagement. We learn this from Jim, who, of course, is completely disdainful of Roy and uh, their relationship in general because he realizes that Pam isn't all that happy in the relationship, but she's sticking it out. Um, and just on the, the subject of the Roy-Pam relationship, there's this moment when Michael goes down to the warehouse with Ryan and he's introducing everybody before the game. And Michael introduces Roy as the guy who, quote, dates Pam. And Roy doesn't correct Michael, which sort of alludes to something that sort of happens in the next episode. And even again in the future, um, won't spoil it, but we do get hints later that they're kind of still just dating. Very much so. It doesn't really resemble a traditional engagement in any sense of the word, especially in length. Right. There's no future plans. It's just a plan to eventually get married, which isn't really an engagement in most people's books. In this episode, we also see how Michael just continues to manipulate Dwight over and over and over again and take advantage of him because he knows, he knows that Dwight is loyal to him and Dwight wants responsibility. So to mitigate the sting of not allowing Dwight on the basketball team, he gives him this fake power to schedule everybody's weekend schedule because corporate wants people coming in on the weekends to work. And that's when I referenced this line in the last episode and it turns out it was in the very next episode. 
Jim says, this is the smallest amount of power I've ever seen go to someone's head. <laughs> and it really is true. Dwight has this giant, like, what? how big would you say this thing is? Four by five? Four by, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Something like that. Uh, it, it's this huge whiteboard with a calendar it's on it. as tall as a person. Yeah, and Dwight has it, like, propped up in his lap against his desk. And he's, like, trying to reach across and fill this thing out with everybody. And, of course, he's being most antagonistic against Jim because it's Jim. But it's just sad that Michael goes to these lengths to manipulate Dwight into getting basically what he wants rather than what Dwight wants, because he knows that Dwight will go for it. He knows he'll do it. And honestly, when Michael said, you know, the hand strikes and gives a flower, you can't play the basketball game, but you can do this work schedule. Dwight seems just as happy with that. I mean, he seems just fine. He's he's happy to take up the slack and happy to do Michael's work for him. So they're a little both to blame. I think Michael's definitely taking advantage of him. And there are other small moments like that throughout the episode. There's another moment before the game where Michael actually references Lord of the Rings. He says something about the dwarf that follows along <laughs> and is grumpy the whole time. And Dwight just names the character. He says, oh, that's Gimli. And Michael calls him a nerd. And it's just one of those small moments of Michael just sort of picking on Dwight and being antagonistic towards him for no reason, considering the fact that Dwight is completely loyal to Michael as a character. But we do get one funny moment that sort of stems from that, where Jim actually appears to be amused by Michael for the first time in the season. He's he's having a real good time laughing at that joke, calling uh, Dwight a nerd because it's at Dwight's expense. So it's, I think... It may not be the exact first time, but it seems like one of the first times where Jim is actually legitimately amused by Michael and not just exasperated with him. Or just humoring him. He was actually <laughs> laughing. Right. Michael is also like completely 100% unfair to those who actually express interest in playing the game. When he first walks in for the day, he's got his gym bag. So he holds up his clothes and he's calling out to everybody else who's supposed to be playing. And so Jim holds up his gym bag and Ryan holds up a trash bag, which is funny because it makes me wonder about Ryan. Do you think him bringing his clothes in a trash bag is indicative of maybe lack of prior sports background? Like he wouldn't already have a sports bag of some kind? Or do you think it's just him being 100% disinterested in this sports thing for Michael at all? You know, I hadn't given that a ton of thought, but I think it was probably just last minute. Oh, man, we have this stupid basketball game today. Uh, this is the closest thing I have on hand. Um, it's probably more of him just not caring at all about, you know, the stupid game his boss has planned. I think so, too. And there are other moments when they're trying to decide on the starting lineup. And Michael says, Stanley, of course. Because, again, Stanley is black, so he must be good at playing basketball. That's Michael's mindset. Spoiler, he's not good. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> and then we have volunteers from Phyllis who, oh, I feel so sad for Phyllis in this episode because he oh. completely shuts her down. And then later when she volunteers to cheerlead after Pam denies Michael's gross request to be cheerleader for the team and says, yuck, that'd be even worse than you playing. It's so sad. So oh. sad. And then Oscar volunteers and he says, no, we'll use you in the future when we maybe play baseball or boxing because there's another stereotype for Michael. Check off the list. And then Kevin, who is sort he's of really good. He, he's really good, as we find he's out. He's probably the best one. Yeah. Yeah. He says, I, I have a hoop in my driveway. I play all the time. But Michael doesn't want that. And there's there's this fantastic shot as they're preparing to go to the game where Oscar crumbles up a piece of paper and tosses it in the trash can easily. And Kevin takes out the last tissue in a box and then tosses the box across to the trash can easily. It's like a spin. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's real, real smooth. And then we cut to Stanley, who is, of course, going to be on the starting lineup. And he completely misses and he doesn't even care for one, but he just tosses a piece of paper over his shoulder and it lands short of the trash can. So an example of how Michael has these, these stereotypes in his head and is ignorant of those who express genuine interest and might have actual talent. Well, on to some uh, funny moments before the basketball game. Um, I know there wasn't too long in the episode before the actual game starts, but I know I mentioned the hand strikes and gives a flower, which they talk about in the in the commentary, isn't an actual phrase, but it sounds sort of, you know, like a Chinese proverb or something. It, but Michael sure made up that phrase, which is, I love it. It makes a lot of sense. So it's surprising to me that that's something Michael would say. 
But it's also not because it's not real. Right. I think throughout the course of the show, there's lots of moments where Michael will say something that he think is prophetic or in some way inspirational. And a lot of times I think he makes them up in the spot, like in this instance. And a lot of times I think he's trying to quote something that is an actual quote, but then he just messes it up and turns it into something all his own. And most of them are not as smooth as this one was. (laughs) No, this one actually does sound believably legitimate, which I, I really like. Another funny one of, of, of mine for Michael's is when he is walking down to the warehouse right before the game and um, he explains to the camera, or maybe it's to Ryan, that he's going to manage now. And he says, managing by walking around, as if that's how you're a good manager, just by walking around your, your store. <laughs> right. And then when he gets down to the warehouse, he's got this ridiculous outfit on, this all navy blue like gym shorts and sleeveless shirt, and he's got a knee brace on, and he's got a Livestrong bracelet on. It's all shiny. Yeah, it's all shiny and brand new <laughs> because, of course, he wouldn't have well-worn gym clothes. And he does this ridiculous warm-up sequence where he does these knee highs for a few seconds and then does this like jumping back and forth loosey-goosey kind of thing. I don't really know what he's doing. I don't know what that accomplishes. <laughs> and then he goes and he's he's dunking on this shortened hoop. Well, first he attempts to dunk a few times. And when he finally does make it in, Lonnie takes it and raises it up to proper height. And Michael just stands there like, well, that's that's unexpected. And he takes the ball and he just tosses it like almost <laughs> violently at the net. And it just brushes the net and goes flying, clearly missing his goal. And I think he thinks that the net is at the proper height <laughs> the whole time. He's so confident, even though he's still missing. He's just he's confident that he's close, but he's not even close. <laughs> yeah, he's down there trying to impress those African-Americans like he told us. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the game, which starts off with Michael saying he's going to cover Roy. And when Jim interrupts and says, I thought I'd cover Roy, Michael says, no, I think Roy is actually their best player, insinuating that Michael should be the one covering the best player because he's the best player. And we we find out very quickly that he is far from being the best player on this team. And of course, we know why Jim wants to cover Roy. It's because, you know, it's all about Pam. It's, you know, this testosterone competition between them and... It's the whole subtext of who's going to win the girl. Right. And, you know, for this game, I have all these, I have, I have tons of things written down for Michael and I clearly won't get to all of them, but he, there, there's all these things he does. Like at the beginning, he's shouting all these random basketball terms. The, the biggest example to me is when he shouts three, when he's clearly in the layup zone, like right up on the hoop and it's not even close to being a three pointer. And then he misses. He, he does stuff like that. He shouts, who's on Roy after Roy scores and he said he was on Roy. So right. wh- what's what's the deal, Michael? <laughs> and then stuff like tossing the ball across the room and completely missing and shouting, come on, what is wrong with me today? Usually hit those. <laughs> I feel like he's just putting all the moves on to look impressive, but everyone knows he's not impressive. It's it's like if he was in some, you know, montage of a movie with music playing in the background, he might look impressive, but he's in a basketball game and he's <laughs> losing sorely. It's funny, during the episode, I don't think we see him score at all. I don't believe so. And in the deleted scenes, we see him score twice, specifically. There's one time where he he runs towards the hoop, and he actually manages a layup as he runs under it. And then there's a second time where he tries another one of those long-distance lobs across the field. It was like a one-hand. Yeah, he manages He pulls it off he, he, completely by accident. And the reaction was incredible. It, it's <laughs> the hilarious. The whole office, like, screams and he <laughs> screams. It was great. Yeah, he, he completely over-celebrates, even for something like that. But that's just Michael. And it's a funny moment <laughs> knowing that these were just improvised sort of pickup games. And they kept the best moments for the episode and for the deleted scenes. There were a bunch of great deleted scenes, though, but we'll get to that. What other standouts from the basketball game? Beyond Michael's horrible playing, Michael's horrible behavior during the basketball game, when one of the warehouse guys accidentally elbows Michael a little bit, he is such a sore loser and screams flagrant personal foul. And, you know, he gets accidentally bumped. It's 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 a game. It happens. And um, he decides that whoever was winning at that time were going to end the game and they're the ones that won. When he just asked Angela who was winning and then conveniently decides that, you know, it's time to end the game. Just horrible, bad sportsman-like behavior and just, ugh, so cringy. Yeah, it is. And it's funny. He 
he stages this sort of foul with someone who appears to be sort of the grandpa of the warehouse. He's an older man, very kind, very apologetic. Uh, but Michael just blows it way out of proportion as he's wont to do. And what's even funnier is after they've returned to the office, there was no visible blood or actual injury down in the warehouse when he first got bumped. But back up in the office, he's stuffed these tissues up his nostrils. And they're completely clean tissues because, of course, he wasn't bleeding at all. It wasn't that bad an injury. It's not like Jim who sp- actually split his lip uh, when <laughs> Roy elbowed him. And that wasn't even a, a, a moment. That was real. Um, John Krasinski actually had his lip split open during the filming. <laughs> so they just used it. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, it's funny that Michael is just the character to blow it so out of proportion that here he is stuffing tissues up his nose to to sort of bolster a fake injury. Right. Just to get the attention. What about how Stanley behaves when he what what's that Stanley reveal like to you when he finally gets the basketball and he has no clue what he's doing? He even has less of a clue, I think, than Michael, Uh, because at least Michael is trying to pull things off. But Stanley, he just doesn't know what to do. He's got that hand flying behind him, flopping around like a fish, and he's looking down at the ground. (laughs) It's so funny. Every time Stanley gets the ball in this episode, I laugh. It's really funny. I mean, it, it just reminds me of, I always reference middle school, I feel like, in this, in this podcast, but it's true. I mean, so much of this is just so juvenile. It feels like, you know, a bunch of inexperienced school kids playing basketball because Stanley doesn't play basketball, but he's African American, so surely he does. And it just made me laugh because that's it's so bad. And then other small moments for me, um, there's Dwight stealing the ball from Ryan to score. They're on the same team. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ryan just says it on the same team, Dwight. <laughs> Does it react otherwise? Don't have to compete. <laughs> but every time Dwight makes a basket in this episode, he looks to Michael for approval. And it's so sad because there's a couple times when Dwight would score and Michael said, I was open, Dwight. Again, the way Michael treats Dwight is depressing. Let him have a win, you know? Yeah, it's, let, it's okay. let him have this. Later, when Jim starts playing aggressive with Roy, uh, we get these cuts to Pam in between the plays to see her reaction. And then later up in the office, Pam compliments Jim. And Roy is in a better mood at this point, too, because, hey, they won and they're not having to work on Saturday. But Pam compliments Jim's playing and he smiles. And as Roy and Pam are walking out, he hears Pam saying something about getting Roy into a bathtub. And then you just it's this brilliant small piece of micro acting from John Krasinski as his smile just slowly turns to this frown, basically. But it's a small bit by bit kind of change. It's not immediate. It's like he's smiling. He's happy that Pam complimented him. His face starts to fall as he hears Pam mention the bath. And then by the time they're gone, it's almost like his head is down in his hands. It's funny because I have it in my notes too. And I had it that Jim was almost a little smug because I believe it was Roy that first complimented him. He called him Larry Bird. You know, he's a great player. And Pam was like, yeah, you know, he he's pretty good. And so, you know, Jim's a little smug. Ha, I, I, I showed him I'm going to get the girl. And then you're right. As they're leaving, he just, oh, no, they're going to go home together. It's just, oh, poor Jim. Yeah, it's like he deflates. Right. He shrinks down in his chair. And then just the last couple of things I wanted to mention, um, Phyllis, when we finally see her start playing in the game, she scores immediately because, hey, she used to play in high school or whatever. Uh, so she would have clearly been a more valuable asset than Stanley earlier in the game. <laughs> and then Kevin, after all is said and done, everybody's cleared out. He just takes the ball and he starts shooting these free throws. And he we, we see him in the episode land probably four to five. In the commentary, they reveal that Brian Baumgartner, who plays Kevin, actually did probably 14 or 15 in a row, which is just insane. And again, Michael underestimating his employees who expressed genuine interest in playing the game. And Brian is apparently a really talented sportsman all around. He plays tennis. They said he uh, plays basketball. He plays something else. He's just really sporty guy. So that's pretty fun. I thought it'd be fun to start a sort of assistant to the regional manager tally just to count how many times they make that joke. And I think if I've done it correctly, listeners, you can chime in if I if you check in, I was wrong. But this episode, by the end, we've made that joke five times. There was twice in pilot. There was one in the alliance. And then there were two here, I think. Seems right. Yeah. 
I just figured, yeah, I, I think it'd be fun if we sort of kept track as long as they're still making the jokes to see how many times they make <laughs> the joke. So we're up to five. Listeners, keep us accountable. Tell us if we're wrong. Definitely. We'll, we'll do our best. Now, let's move on to uh, deleted scenes real quick. Were there any deleted scenes? Or we can talk commentary too. What, what stood out from those for you? Well, there were so many good deleted scenes. Um, one of my favorites was Dwight with the giant whiteboard. Um, so what we see in the episode is, you know, this probably four by five whiteboard that's been divided into all these boxes. But in the deleted scene, he divides it even further. And it's like this multicolor. I mean, there's like three different, maybe four different colors of tape. And it's just this extremely complex thing that only Dwight could come up with. That gym just, wow, that is... That is so complicated or something along those lines. And just, oh, just Dwight being over the top as usual. And then I had I had some uh, favorite deleted scenes with Michael as well. So Todd Packer, when he calls Michael, um, and Michael makes a sensitive joke about a Jewish doctor and then turns to the camera and clarifies that 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 wasn't a that wasn't a joke when it clearly was meant to be one. Just more of Michael's insensitivity. What about you? I just wanted to mention that it's the we get the first mention of Kevin's band that he's a part of with yeah, a pretty right. significant change from what it's like in the rest of the series. Because in this episode, Kevin mentions that it is a Steve Miller cover band and we've committed ourselves to no spoilers. So I won't reveal what it changes to. But after season one, it's no longer a Steve Miller cover band. It's not that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting that we get our first reference to that within the episode here. Or, well, it, not within the episode, within the deleted scenes. I think my absolute favorite, though, was with Michael when we got a bit of it in the episode that aired, but he t was talking about how basketball is jazz and he scats a little <laughs> I, bit. I wrote this down, and too. <laughs> he, he goes, oh, if you know jazz, you'll know this guy. It's a... Uh, he he plays a big curly horn and uh and he just contemplates the name he can't get it out oh oh it's Kenny G uh you'll you you'll, you'll probably only like only know that name if you know jazz but i know jazz so i know Kenny G you know it's just <laughs> it's ridiculous because people who are in the know about jazz don't even consider Kenny G <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like he's some little name that no one knows like it's Kenny G <laughs> yeah he he's pretty big selling as far as making money with his albums goes there was one more that i wanted to mention from the deleted scenes and that was this scene with Pam revealing that she may not be all that excited for the Saturday plans with Roy after all, because she says, you know, I thought we were saving for a wedding, but Roy went out and bought two wave runners and I don't even get to use one of them because he and his brother are off racing them. So it adds almost another dimension to the way Pam behaves during the game itself and the way she cheers for Jim. Like there's a small moment when Jim makes his first basket and she cheers. Mm -hmm. So it's another interesting glimpse into that. Pam Roy dynamic. We're getting a lot of that in these episodes. Yeah, I had that one down as well. I thought that was interesting. Kind of exactly what you would think, though. You know, Roy just does not seem to uh, include Pam in a lot of his fun. You know, she's there for, I don't know, convenience, maybe. It's almost like convenience or ownership in a certain way or right. just the the title of being engaged it's it's strange I, I don't really know what roy perceives he's getting from this relationship but he and pam definitely view it a lot differently yes now to close off our discussion on basketball i came up with our discussion topic this week which should be pretty fun uh i think we should tell the story of a time we claim to be good at something only to make a fool of ourselves doing that thing. So <gasps> what do you got for us, Katie? <laughs> All right. I will preface this by saying um, if I have to do this and Chad has to do this, listeners have to do it too. Because oh, definitely. That's Send them in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think the most recent one I could think of, I can't, I, not that there were a ton. I don't think I've done this too often, but there was a time in college that I was definitely not fluent, but I could have a conversation in German. I was pretty okay at German. I like to say, if you threw me into Germany, I could find my way out. Like, I was okay. So moving to New York, I had on my professional resume that I spoke, you know, okay German. I forget my, my phrasing. I ended up as a um, member services person at the uh, MoMA, Museum of Modern Art in New York City, which, if you don't know, is a just enormous tourist attraction with lots of foreigners and Germans. <laughs> so <laughs> I was called out by somebody, oh, you speak German, right? And uh, you know, it's funny because if you don't use a language, it goes away. And that definitely did. So I 
I should have taken that off my resume for sure. Oh, no. You probably still speak more than I do. I could probably oh. uh, list some German lyrics from songs I've sung in the past. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. And I could maybe, like, I know heart is Herz, but that's basically the extent of my German. Yeah, das ist richtig. <laughs> das ist richtig, yeah. What's yours? I don't have one super recent, but this was freshman year of college. You know, both of us have had music, well, you have a lot more musical theater experience than I do, but I have a little bit. In my freshman year at Tech, I auditioned for Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, a production they were doing at a local Methodist church, and I made it, but I made it as a dancer, and I am not the <laughs> most deft with my feet. I don't know how I convinced the director that I was going to be a good dancer, but here I was cast as a dancer in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And I didn't know that. <laughs> yes, there is this one song <laughs> that is called Meal Bamboo, and it is quite a dance number. And you have these bamboo staffs <laughs> as part of your costume, and it's just, it's fast paced, and I was overweight at the time. And there was this one part at the very end where you had to do a tuck and roll. You had to, to tuck the bamboo staff, like at your waist, and do this forward somersault. And that was the Dickens for me. And so, it it was just if you see the video, I I pull it off, but it's like crooked to the left, and I cover this huge distance because I'm a big guy. I think that's probably the the best example. It's the first example that came to my mind of me convincing somebody somehow that I'm a dancer, and then just sort of looking the fool on the stage. But I had a lot of fun, so I guess that's okay. That's pretty great. <laughs> I had a lot of that when I moved to New York. I thought I was you know not a dancer, but like I could dance. Uh, I can't dance. Not in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my experience before this was basically show choir choreography. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lots of hands. <laughs> right, right. Grapevine left and right. Exactly. Step <laughs> I think that probably wraps up basketball. Uh, I think we can move on to uh, the last episode of season one, Hot Girl. Hot Girl aired April 26th, 2005, directed by Amy Heckerling and written by Mindy Kaling. Want to tell us a little bit about the plot, Chad? Sure. So this is another pretty basic episode. Uh, on this day in the office, a purse vendor named Katie, who is played by a mostly then unknown Amy Adams, shows up to sell some of her wares and Michael is immediately smitten by this quote, hot girl. He sets her up in the conference room and spends the rest of the day trying to woo her, particularly with coffee, while also trying to spurn the advances of anyone else who might appear to be interested, including both Toby and Dwight. At the end of the day, it's not Michael, but Jim who leaves with Katie. So let's talk about what happens in between all of that. What What's a character moment that you have to start us off? The first one I have is really how the office kind of teams up against Pam in favor of Katie. Like Kevin and Michael both have little jabs against Pam about how much hotter Katie is. Like Katie's 2.0 and Pam is the original. It's just, oh, really mean stuff. Actually, Michael calls her Pam 6.0, which like, oh, yeah. that, that's even <laughs> even worse because, you know, you you think 1.0 to 2.0, that's that's the basic progression. But he went from 1.0 to 6.0. So, I mean, she's way, way better, way, way hotter than Pam. And it's just so sad because you see how visibly hurt she is by that comment. Absolutely. That's just beyond, I don't know, something about that comment. Maybe because I'm a woman. I don't know. I just maybe because all women think that they're Pam in this show, but having Michael and Kevin say that just kind of tugs at my heart. Like, oh, that's just horrible. Yeah, at least she has the, the wherewithal to stand up to Kevin and say, you know, Kevin, that's not very nice. That's pretty rude, actually. And he just sort of shrugs it off. But at least she does stand up for herself a little bit. Harder to do that against Michael when he's such a presence. Now, I mentioned in the summary that Michael really latches on to the idea of coffee to woo Katie in this episode. And it's because she mentions it once. She says, a cup of coffee would be nice. And then he goes into this rant about Starbucks that doesn't make any sense and how he's this man who gets things done and is tearing down barriers. And it, again, makes no sense, but it's Michael. And the whole rest of this episode, he gets her a cup of coffee. Then he goes and he buys this $1,000 coffee machine in the guise of it being the sales incentive for those who sell the most paper. he I was so worried watching this episode, obviously not this time, but probably the first time in previous times, that he was actually going to give her this espresso oh, machine because it would totally be something Michael would do in order to win over the affections of a woman. 
that would just would not work. Like, imagine meeting somebody that you are not attracted to at all, you're not interested in, and they are acting this way towards you. And what if he had given her a thousand dollar espresso machine? Like, wow, back off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And imagine Jan's reaction if he had done that. Oh, um, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> but there's this other moment where Dwight actually goes to Michael to ask permission to ask out Katie, which is so sad because Dwight is so delusional in his, quote, inferiority to Michael that he feels a need to ask permission in the first place. But Michael, he asked Michael, are you in love with her? And Michael says, <laughs> I-, I don't know, too early to tell. And it's like, of course you're not in love with her, Michael. You're just thinking no. with your private She's area. Cute. <laughs> <laughs> She's cute. It's okay. That's not love. <laughs> right. Not at, not at all. There's, um, I have a couple actually, I guess, for Jim, Pam, Roy, that whole triangle. Roy calls Jim, Jimmy, which was just a little one. But for me, that was such a stab at him. Like, it's just, it's, it's the little moments between Jim and Roy that just, they're competing in such a small scale, um, trying to not be obvious. And then I had another one for, um, when Jim tells Pam that he's thinking about asking out Katie, Pam gets really weird. Uh, which I think is kind of the first time we've seen Pam show, like, jealous feelings. Like, maybe Jim shouldn't be going out with Katie. Maybe Jim, you know, maybe she has feelings for Jim. I don't know. That, I, I, that might be the first time I saw something like that. He tells her that he's going to be seeing Katie this weekend. And then the conversation they were having just completely flatlines immediately. And shortly thereafter, we actually see Pam putting on lip gloss. Yes. Uh, Like she's almost trying to compensate for the way everybody else is viewing her versus viewing Katie. She's definitely feeling um, pretty self-conscious at this point. Yeah. And we I mentioned that moment in the basketball episode where Michael introduces Roy as a guy who dates Pam. And we have another instance of that in this episode. And in both instances, Roy doesn't correct the person who says he's dating. So they're sitting in the Uh, I'm trying to actually remember how it arises. They're sitting in the break room. They're eating lunch. Oh, and Roy says, I'd be all over that if I wasn't dating Pam. That's right. And first, he's engaged as Pam very pointedly reminds him. And second, that would be awful to say even if they were just dating. Right. (laughs) And it's worth noting that episodes three through six of season one are actually out of order. In fact, that's pretty common for these first three seasons, or maybe even four seasons, as I was looking earlier. If you look at the production codes, one and two are in the correct order, but then this was actually supposed to be episode three. So it takes place before basketball, and then basketball wasn't until episode five. So it it's weird orders, but with that in mind, this taking place before basketball. So this is one time when Roy is caught by Pam saying that he's dating her. And then later, in a later episode, when somebody says dating Pam, he still doesn't correct him. So it's just an example of Roy not caring. He doesn't care. He's not learning from this. And it, it's it's sad. It really is. It re- it's infuriating. I mean, ugh. And he doesn't even apologize for what he said about how he would be all over Katie if he wasn't dating Pam. When he goes up, uh, he comes back up to the office later and Pam is sitting on Jim's desk having a conversation and he starts tickling Pam. And he says, come on, Pammy, are you still mad at me? Are you still mad at me? Uh, I didn't mean it, Pam. I didn't mean it. You know, I didn't mean it. And there's not an apology in there anywhere. There's He's not. just making her laugh. And that's his way of making her forgive him. And Pam doesn't ask for an apology. She doesn't make him really think twice about it. I mean, she corrects him, but that doesn't affect him. So I feel like Pam's sort of conditioned to just be treated this way. She's okay with it, you know? Or not okay with it, but she's used to it. Yeah, especially after three years. Right. She knows, all right, Roy can be a jerk. That's Roy. When that sucks. That's not how it's supposed to go, you know? You don't have to marry that guy. There's this talking head Pam has uh, before the conversation with Jim where he mentions the date with Katie. And she says... Yeah, Jim's a, Jim's like a brother to me, and he's my best friend in the office, and I hope you find someone. So it's like she she's realizing, I think, that Jim has a crush on her in some capacity, even though she doesn't really consider it seriously. And then, again, that conversation with Jim where it just flatlines once he mentions the date with Katie. Like, she she's lost interest or is almost has her feelings hurt because Jim is trying to move on a little bit. Any other character moments? 
I guess just this last one where Dwight does finally ask out Katie. And I wrote (laughs) down the dialogue here. So Dwight says, can I talk to you for a second in private? Katie, I don't think so. I'm really busy. Dwight, it'll just take a second. Katie, I can't. Just for a minute, please. I really can't. I wanted to talk to you in private because I wanted to ask you out on a date. No. Is that no to talking to me in private or is that no to the date? Both. (laughs) (laughs) And Dwight is just so... He can't take no for an answer. Like, she said no. She said she's busy. She said she can't. I really can't. No. And he does it anyway. Like, dude... (laughs) Come on. Yeah, it's like he's trying to race against Michael to a certain extent. Yes, exactly. But also, he just doesn't know how to approach the situation. When he first walks in before that conversation, he says uh, something to the effect of, how are you doing? Good. So anyways, like he doesn't wait for her answer. He just (laughs) gets the pleasantries out of the way and then gets right down to what he came in to talk about. He knows he's supposed to be nice, so he's nice. And then let's get to what I'm talking. Yeah, it's... I can't imagine the last time he asked a girl out. It just... (laughs) He's so bad at it. (laughs) Yeah, it's such a foreign concept to him, pretty obviously. Now, moving on to funny moments. It, it's awful. This is very awful. But I, I, I think everybody somewhat loves the Michael Toby hate. Yes. And this scene is just the worst <laughs> because Michael is walking around Katie, introducing her to the rest of the office, and they get back to the annex where Toby is. And Toby realizes, hey, you, you have on a ring for my alma mater. So they strike up a conversation. And Michael just violently cuts into the conversation with, oh, you, you're divorced, though, aren't you? Man, what a painful divorce. You slept in your car. Are you still on antidepressants? And he has kids. <laughs> yeah, and he has kids. Wow. <laughs> it's, oh. again, it's awful. But because it's Michael Toby, I, I always, those scenes always make me laugh. And it was just because Katie took an interest in another guy. That's all it was. And and it was a guy that he hated. It's just, <laughs> if Katie was going to fall for a guy in the office, you know, Michael might be okay with it being Jim. You know, he loves Jim or maybe Ryan, but not Toby. <laughs> yeah, and he finishes off that conversation with uh, looking at the, the picture of Toby's daughter on his desk and goes, oh, she's a cutie, cutie pie. <laughs> And just walking away, like, <laughs> to soften the blow in his mind, I guess. Right. <laughs> and then he just walks off. And Toby's just sitting there, sort of wallowing in, in this misery that Michael has thrust him into. God forbid Toby have a nice conversation with a woman, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then right after that, Michael has his talking head where he says, I live by one rule, no office romances. But I live by another rule. Just do it. Nike. <laughs> right. So one rule, no. I also have another one. And in case you didn't know this very, very, very famous slogan, it's Nike. (laughs) (laughs) Nike, right. And Katie isn't exactly an office worker. She's there for one day. Like, (laughs) I know, I I think it was Dwight asked permission because office romances are taboo, but she's not an office worker. Michael using that as a reason was just so skeevy to me. Like, no, you're just, I don't know. Oh, I, I have an addition to the Michael and Katie fictional love story. Michael is already asking Pam for her opinions on futons. What do women think about futons? <laughs> Presumably because Katie is going to be spending a lot of time at his house. <laughs> I think that's already where his mind is. You know, what do women think of futons? Like, you know, you weren't thinking this three hours ago before she got to the office. <laughs> this is all about your future with this woman. And then when he brings Katie an espresso later... After he's taken the the machine out of the box, he takes a sip of his own espresso, and he so obviously dislikes it. Like, he he takes a sip, and he cringes. (laughs) So he's just putting on a front for this woman that he is suddenly very, very interested in. Right. Another part of his preparations for Katie coming over, or Katie getting a ride home from him, is going out to his car with Ryan to clean out all the the filet of fish boxes and wrappers from his car. And then there's this particular moment that always makes me laugh when Ryan says, or he finds a sports drink and he says, do you want me to throw this out? What flavor is it? Blue. Blue is not a flavor. It says flavor blue blast. Oh, blue blast. Then put it in the trunk. <laughs> As if he couldn't have gotten that from blue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's blue. Come on, Michael. <laughs> like, everyone knows what that tastes like. <laughs> yeah, and there's this extended scene uh, in that moment where Michael then asks Ryan for music to listen to on the way home. And he Ryan asks Michael, okay, what kind of music do you like? Oh, I like all of it. How about hip hop or indie rock? 
yeah, I like both of those. And then Ryan starts listing off these bands that fit in those categories. And Michael says, yes, I like that one. Oh, I like, I like the last thing they put out. And Ryan realizes very quickly that Michael has no idea what he's talking about. And so he starts making up these fake band names, including one called the Glorps. <laughs> that should be pretty obvious. <laughs> Michael again points out how much he likes their, their work and their music. And Ryan just shares this knowing glance with the camera. Ryan, at this point, I have different feelings on Ryan later, but at this point, it's really funny watching him interact with Michael because he always has the straightest of faces. Like he's trying very hard not to react or to react in any way to what Michael is saying or doing or getting him to do. It's like he's he's trying to remain very neutral in his interactions with Michael. And I wonder why that is. Um, and I, I'm betting it's just that he's a temp. I mean, I've been a temp and... It was all sort of day stuff, not, you know, for six months or however long his contract is with them. But you kind of dissociate yourself from that whole situation because it's not your office. It's not your place. So I feel like that's kind of what he's doing is like, oh, none of this really matters. This isn't my job. So I don't have to take it really seriously. So he just messes with Michael. And it's so funny. It is. I really like the scene where Jim tricks Dwight into talking to Katie, basically for his own amusement. And he shares it with Pam. So he convinces Dwight that he needs to buy a purse uh, as a way to sort of woo Katie. And so he sends Dwight off and he goes over behind Pam's desk and they do this like fake conversation interaction between the two of them. And (laughs) Jim goes up into this falsetto. And the one the the (laughs) line that makes me laugh the most is when he says, oh, I'll be the prettiest girl at the ball. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty good Jim for Dwight. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. That that that's the one that makes me laugh the hardest. And then Pam correctly points out that it's sad. It's just so sad. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Like he should know better. I mean, these are all pretty girly purses and he's so convinced that if I buy a purse, sorry, a mini briefcase, it's going to win the girl and it's just oh. He's so naive sometimes. I think one of my favorite moments of the whole episode and it's such a small thing, but like I've said, it's the small things that get me in the show are um when Katie's leaving the office with um, with Jim, Michael thinks he's going home with her, but she's going home with Jim. She says to the whole office, oh, bye. It was nice meeting some of you. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was one I wrote down as well. It was just such a well-phrased line. Like, some of you. Maybe just Jim, Pam, Toby. That might have been it. And then Michael, he didn't know until that moment that Katie wasn't going to go into his car. And in his final talking head, he sort of lessens the blow to himself by saying, do I have a special someone? My employees are my special someones. And that he'd choose them over a one night stand. And it's very clear in that moment that I think all of Michael's knowledge on what a one night stand might entail comes from what he's seen on TV, as most of his things do. It's a little sour grapes moment. I didn't want it anyway. I have my employees. It's just, he's lying. (laughs) I think he would rather spend the night with the woman. (laughs) I think so too. And uh, this episode does bring our assistant to the regional manager, Tally, to six. And what's special about it in this episode is Dwight actually makes a correction himself because he is trying to go after Katie and he's seen that Michael is also going after Katie. And so again, he's thinking himself inferior to Michael and, uh, he he makes a correction to Jim himself, assistant to the regional manager. <laughs> that one slipped by me. I'll have to watch for that one next time. Yeah. Now, what about deleted scenes? There's, there's not a commentary for this episode, but what, what deleted scenes stood out to you? I think one of my favorites is when Dwight is talking to Katie and trying to ask her out, and he is just shoveling himself into a huge hole. He's doing so badly, and he ends up with his shirt nearly off, Somehow, (laughs) he's trying to show Katie his snakeskin belt because, oh yes, because the purse that he's about to buy is faux snakeskin, and he wants to know if it's waterproof. He goes, well, snakes are waterproof, so that's probably waterproof. I have a snakeskin belt. Do you want to see? And he like lifts up his shirt (laughs) way higher than you would need to lift up your shirt to show someone your belt. I mean, it's pretty much off his head. (laughs) It's just so unnecessary. Yeah, and she's she's very uncomfortable. (laughs) In fact, I think I think setting out to film this episode, Steve Carell probably thought to himself, now what can I do to make Amy Adams appear as uncomfortable as possible? And she does a really good job of looking super uncomfortable many times in this episode, including in that moment with Dwight. 
She really does. Now, after Dwight has bought the purse from Katie and he's walked out and he's got it on his shoulder, Jim convinces him, this is in a deleted scene, Jim convinces him to put some of his desk stuff into the mini briefcase, as he calls it, just so he can have this payoff later where in the break room, Dwight is looking through the refrigerator or something and Jim goes in and says, hey, can I borrow your stapler? And Dwight responds, Yes, it's in my purse. And Jim walks off with a grin and everybody else in there. I think it's Angela and Stanley and maybe Kevin. Yeah, I think that's right. Kevin or Stanley. I don't remember for sure. But yeah, they they all just sort of stare at Dwight as he continues nonchalantly looking through the refrigerator. (laughs) Because he doesn't realize what he just said. And I think I, I made a note about the first part of that scene you were talking about where Jim convinces Dwight to fill his purse with office supplies and Dwight puts it on as he's at his desk and he leaves the like protective plastic that's on the handles that comes with purses sometimes. And it's just the loudest, crunchiest plastic. And for whatever reason, that sound just killed me because every little movement he made, it was just (laughs) (laughs) like drawing attention to him. (laughs) Yeah, it was. And he kept looking over at Katie and oh, that killed me. (laughs) I wish they had left that. Yeah, there's this weird payoff with Dwight's purse at the end of the deleted scenes where he goes and he gives the purse to Kelly, which I wonder, you know, I mentioned that these were aired sort of out of order. This comes immediately after Diversity Day. Diversity Day is episode two, and this is technically episode three as far as production codes go. So I wonder if they're following through on that quote from Dwight in the Diversity Day training where he says that he's attracted to both white people and Indians. Well, I believe one of the commentaries, I could not tell you which one, possibly Diversity Day, that Dwight and Kelly were originally supposed to have a little thing, or at least they were flirting or something, which was super subtle. And I think they cut out a lot of that. But I think that was one of the leftover bits was that he ended up gifting his purse to Kelly. Interesting. I didn't catch that. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'll have to find out which one that was. But if you go back and watch, there are a couple of tiny scenes where they have a moment between the two of them. And that quickly dissolves. Right. One more thing from the deleted scenes I wanted to point out, and you can see some of this in the main episode as well, but there's a board in the conference room with the sales team's names on it. And it looks like sort of projected goals and then what they've actually sold up to a certain amount of time or something like that. And so we actually get some names of salespeople in the office aside from our main four, which are Jim, Dwight, Stanley, and Phyllis. And the other three mentioned are Andy, Roger, and Michelle. So worth noting that there is an Andy before Andy Bernard shows up towards, what, end of season two, beginning of season three sometime? Yeah, I totally missed that. It's just a small thing. I actually paused it for a few seconds so I could read it properly. It seems like the writers had something in mind for the name Andy. Yeah, it was just something that appeared in the background real quick. And I thought it'd be interesting to look at it a little bit closer. Yeah, that is interesting. Well, I guess that brings us to our discussion section for Hot Girl. I struggle with this one, but I think what I want to talk about is why do you think Jim goes out with Katie? Why do you think he asks her out? We've seen him pine over Pam for six episodes now, even in this one, and he chooses Katie. They don't have that much in common. She hasn't shown that she's particularly funny in this episode. Uh, We don't know a lot about her. Is she a distraction or is she an actual interest? What do you think? I think she definitely probably falls more into the distraction category. Jim has been struggling, especially in this episode. There was that moment where Pam was sitting on his desk and Roy comes up and starts tickling her while Jim is right there. And his response is just to walk off. He's like, I'm not going to deal with this right now. I like this girl and she is not having a good time with this. And he actually has a talking head where he says something to the effect of, uh, I'm a good friend to Pam and she can always come to me when she's having problems with her work or with her fiance. And yeah, those are her only two problems. So I think it's definitely more of a distraction to get away from Pam just a little bit. And it's interesting because when he goes in there and he finally starts talking to her, he's so natural at it. So I don't know what that says about him and Pam. I don't know if it just shows how strong his connection is to Pam and how he would withhold these flirting talents he seems to have because he likes his girl so much. Or I don't know. But I I do think she's more of a distraction, at least at this point. I tend to agree with you. I think he's just been so in love with Pam for so long. I mean, presumably way before we met them 
in episode one. I mean, they made it seem like he was in love with her from day one. I mean, whenever she started, I guess. And that's been so long and he's been so hurt. I think he probably just needed a fun night with somebody that he didn't love, you know, just go have a drink, go talk to somebody that doesn't break his heart every day. Yeah, somebody who's going to express interest back at him, somebody who's going to reciprocate. Right. It's kind of a sad plot moment for me. I don't know why. I'm just so, so team Jim and Pam. Yeah, and it is interesting that he would choose the episode. It takes place in this episode and with a girl who everybody is comparing Pam against. Right. I mean, they definitely have similarities, and uh, I think he catches on to that too. It, it just makes me... I I don't think he does it on purpose, but I can understand why Pam's feelings would be a little bit hurt beyond just having a sort of attraction to Jim in general. But the fact that he would ask out this girl who everybody else has been comparing her to negatively the rest of the day, you know? Right. Anyways, I think that wraps up our discussion on Hot Girl, and it ends the official third episode of An American Workplace. And season one of The Office. Yeah, nice, quick, and easy. We wanted to do this because it was so quick and easy. So at this point, you've listened to hopefully three episodes of us talking about The Office. And now it's your turn to to join in. So call to action. If you're liking the show, let us know. Reach out on social media or email, which we're about to give to you, and share your thoughts on season one especially. Share your thoughts on the show and the format and any suggestions or ideas or things you like, any of that. If you want to hear us talk about something that we're not talking about, let us know. We'll talk about it. It's uh, A lot of this is up to you guys. We want to hear what you have to say. Yes, and a lot of the way this podcast grows is going to depend on how you interact with us and the feedback you give us so that we can make a, a show that's really tailored toward Office fans in general. So let us know, and we will definitely start including your thoughts on future episodes since at this point on, we'll be releasing one episode a week. And we'll be recording them each week so that we can make sure to respond to your feedback. So the places where you can find us, facebook.com slash workplace pod and at workplace pod on Twitter. And please, if you're liking the show, you've heard us three times at this point, go to iTunes, rate and review and even subscribe. That's a big help to us and might help us get some much needed attention to help us grow here in the beginning times. And if you have feedback or ideas, you can email us also at workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place to find me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A and on facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And you can also find my other podcast, Cinescope, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them at thecinescopepodcast.com and wherever podcasts can be found. And all of our show notes and all of our contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. And that is all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on Episode 3 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in Episode 4 for our discussion on the first two episodes of Season 2, The Dundies and Sexual Harassment. Thanks. Talk to you later. See you next time. <laughs>